It's a great, it's a great pleasure to be with you. It's a great privilege. I know people say that kind of thing all the time in Christian circles, but it truly is a privilege to be with you. I've heard something of your journey over these last uh, few decades and, of course, over these last few weeks, uh, over these last few years, um, I should say. And um, we're tremendously excited to be with you. We're honoured that the Lord uh, would see fit to send us here to partner with you in your mission, which is now our mission. And of course, that's one of the reasons that the elders felt it was right to invite Sally and I to be with you, that we would come and partner with you in mission. You can read the Bible from lots of different perspectives. There are many ways in which you can find the rich and varied tapestry of revelation brought home to you in so many different ways. But over these next few weeks, I'll be looking at the scriptures from the point of view of mission. How is it that God has spoken to his people down through the ages? And what are the principal themes of scripture that inform our our mission and inform our understanding of our mission individually and our mission collectively? And so this week, uh, we're going to dive straight in and look at the great theme of covenant, the theme that articulates to us how it is that God initiates and forms and, and sovereignly embraces us in a rich and loving relationship that only he, he can form and initiate. That, that, that relationship is, is understood under the term of covenant. God designed us, created us for himself. God created us so that, so that we could be one with him. And in being one with him, we could represent him. That, of course, was broken, was, was severely undercut, undermined by the foolishness of Adam and Eve as they walked away from that offer of intimate relationship with our creator. And since that point, God has been at work, principally through the person of his son, Jesus, to claim us, to win us, to redeem us back to that place of intimate relationship with him. And so the story of covenant is a story that extends from the first page of the Bible to the very end. And today, we're going to just begin to look at some of the ways in which that remarkable theme of covenant is brought to us in the scriptures. The story really extends through those early years and centuries expressed in those first few chapters of Genesis. And then we encounter two very special people. Initially, they're called Abram and Sarai. Later, they'll have their names changed, and we'll look at that in a moment. Abram and Sarai are living 
in the Tigris-Euphrates basin, modern Iraq, in the city of Ur, amongst moon worshippers. And God reveals himself to them and calls Abraham to lead his family, along with a great migration of people who are moving from the east to the west towards what is called the Fertile Crescent, the land of Canaan, the contemporary nation of Israel. He's calling them to move in this direction. They, they're halted along the way. They have a few ideas of their own. They stay in Haran for a little while. But then they rejoin the journey. They have really quite a lot of adventures along the way. But the calling that is placed upon them is a calling to start a nation, which is an incredible calling given that they have no children and there is no prospect of children coming along. And then the Lord comes to Abraham and speaks to him very personally, very intimately, and very directly. In Genesis chapter 15, it says this, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said, So shall your offspring be. And then we come to this sixth verse of Genesis 15, one of the central anchorage points of the entire story of Scripture, one that is referred to by Paul and by the great teachers down through the centuries. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness as a right relation, as a right relationship between him and God. There has been no right relationship between humanity and God up until this point. There has only been a broken relationship up until this point. But God takes Abraham outside and shows him the host of heaven. Of course, we think that it's some kind of astrological education that Abraham is getting as he looks at the heavens. But of course, in the, in the terms of the cosmology of the day, every star was an indicator of a different personality within the household of heaven. If you were polytheists, you believed in many gods, then the stars would be the indicators of many gods. If you were a monotheist like Abraham, now that he has received this revelation from the Lord himself, then every star is a member of the household of heaven. God says, number my children 
if you're able, so shall your children be. Now we know that faith comes by hearing and it may well be that up until this point, Abraham had not truly heard the word of the Lord. But in that moment, he heard what God said to him and faith was born in his heart. And on the basis of that faith, God said, we're right with one another. Isn't that amazing? And if we want to be right with the Lord, even to this day, it's faith that makes it possible. It's grace that begins the journey, the initiative of God, but our response is faith. So Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited credited to him. It's difficult to say that with an it at the end of credit, isn't it? To him as righteousness. Then the Lord said something that Abraham had been longing to hear. You see, Abraham was raised in a world of covenant. In the world that Abraham lived, it was really quite, it was really quite a dangerous world. It was, it was difficult to imagine how you would survive in a world filled with the kinds of brigands and bandits that would be stealing away your property and your possessions, your, your people and your family at every opportunity that they could take. And so people would enter into covenant with one another for protection. And they would form the covenant by saying that they now belong to one another in such a way that they had become one with one another. And there were particular rituals that were known throughout the Near East and were known for centuries. Jeremiah speaks of one in, in Jeremiah 34 using precisely the same imagery to indicate that a covenant has taken place. You see, what Abraham was looking for was that God would take the initiative, being the greater, being the more powerful. He had to wait upon God to make the initiative with him. And in taking that initiative, God would call Abraham to prepare the symbol of a covenant which meant that he and Abraham were one. He said, go get me a heifer. Now, if somebody said that to us, we wouldn't be that excited. I mean, we may not even know where to go to get a heifer. But I can tell you, Abraham was so excited. Uh, get me a heifer and a goat and a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's gone. Abraham knew exactly what to do. He butchered the animals there in the field and he laid them out. He butchered them from nose to tail and he laid them out in the field. The turtle doves at the end, the heifer at the other end and there between the pieces was a corridor of blood. A corridor, a path that indicated that anyone who walked this way was saying, my life is over, 
And as I pass between the pieces, so I'm passing into a new identity, a new life, a whole new existence. And as I come to take up the position where my covenant friend was once standing, I take his identity as mine. And he takes my identity as his. You become one, you see. Covenant making was a familiar and common thing in the world of Abraham and is, of course, familiar in different parts of the world even to this day. And you'll see the ceremonies and the, and the symbols of those covenants. For us, the last vestige of covenant, of course, is found in marriage where two become one. Abraham, of course, has taken on this great task of butchering these animals. It would be incredibly tiring. He falls asleep as the day is completed. He's chased away the carrion birds already. And then, in the midst of the darkness, a greater darkness comes upon him. Darkness does not indicate the presence of evil. Darkness indicates the impossibility of seeing God unless he reveals himself. And there, at the other end of the corridor of blood, there is a blazing torch and a smoking firepot. The firepot, which, of course, holds the fire from which the torch is illuminated. Smoke and fire, the symbols of God's presence from that day to this. And the blazing torch and the smoking firepot pass between the pieces. And the scriptures say, on that day, God cut a covenant with Abraham. We, we have it translated as made a covenant. The Hebrew is quite clear. It says cut a covenant. Now, some have speculated as to whether Abraham was bold enough to walk through the pieces himself. I can't imagine that anyone who speaks to the Lord in the boldness that Abraham speaks to him would not be bold enough to walk between those pieces. And so, and so this covenant has begun. But then the Lord continues to reveal himself in stages to Abraham. In chapter 17, Abraham, having attempted to fulfill the promise of God himself with a slave girl called Hagar, you probably know the story, you've studied Genesis yourself, he shows himself to be so similar to us. God promises us something and we try to make it happen. But God in his goodness and grace doesn't set Abraham aside and says, you idiot. He shows him compassion and grace and comes to him again. And he renews his covenant, which would be a familiar, recognizable kind of understanding in the day. 
chapter 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Well, it's not difficult to greatly increase the number one. But the Lord promises to greatly increase his number. And then he does something that is so familiar to covenant-making people. There is a change of name. God says, no longer will you be called Abram, exalted father. Now you will be called Abraham, father of many nations. And then he goes on to say, having established the covenant of circumcision, which we'll look at next week. He then goes on to say, and Sarai, princess, will be called Sarah, which is also princess. So what's the difference between the two princesses? Well, let me show you. The way that um, the ancients would write the name of God was without any vowels. This is the way that you, you write in ancient Hebrew. I've obviously transliterated or translated into the English letters. So Yahweh is written like this. And of course, you can put just a few vowels in there and it becomes Yahweh. Or you can put a lot of vowels in there and it becomes Yehovah. But the most important thing is that you have the consonants. And this is how the rabbis taught it. Because it, to them it was so obvious because the language was their own. They said, of course, what God did was to take the letter that he had the most of and give Abraham one of them. And just by giving him an element of his identity, his destiny changes. Just by God giving you his identity, your destiny changes. Exalted Father becomes Father of many nations. And Sarai, yes, she is a princess. But now, she's a princess in the court of heaven and not just the court of humanity. Abraham and Sarah have a new identity, an identity based on something that God himself and God alone could give them. Now, of course, this is the first glimmerings of covenant in the scriptures that we would understand in our lives as being applicable to us. 
And of course, it's incredibly important that you realize that whatever name you've been given, when you came to know Jesus, you got his name too. And in the giving of his name to you, your destiny was forever changed. Your destination has been changed, and so therefore your destiny, of course, has been changed. In the New Testament, there is a well-known passage that speaks of this. It's often sadly misinterpreted because we, we've got ourselves kind of caught up in personalities rather than, rather than immersed in what it is that God is doing when he exchanges a covenant with us. If you go to Matthew chapter, 14, uh, chapter 16 and um, you go to verse 13, it says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now, you know the story. You've, you've come across it many times before. The disciples say, well, you know, some say that, um, that you're John the Baptist. Some say one of the prophets of old. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Now, what he's looking for here is not someone to support his feelings of insecurity. Jesus didn't suffer from insecurity. What Jesus was looking for was whether anyone had grasped his identity. Because if anyone had grasped his identity, it must be because God had revealed that identity. And if God had revealed that identity, then that person must in some ways be called to share that identity as a member of the family. Jesus puts it like this in John, uh, John 5, 19. He says, he says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And so he's looking for what it is that the Father is doing amongst his disciples. And Peter chimes in. At the time, of course, he's known as Simon. He says, you are, you are the long-awaited Messiah. Well, the disciples had already believed that for a long time. Andrew had introduced Jesus as the Messiah way back at the beginning of the story. But Peter added this to it. He said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Simon, son of John, but my father who is in heaven. And so I call you by my name. And I give you the key to my kingdom. You are Petros. And on this Petra, Petros is perhaps the diminutive of the word rock. Petra is, is the proper word. Jesus says to Simon, he says, Simon, from now on, 
We could call you Pebbles, if you like. Or maybe Little Rock. Or maybe Rocky Johnson. You can share in my identity. There's only one person in the Bible who's known as the rock. It's God himself. And now Peter has identified that Jesus is God. And so Jesus is the rock. And he says, this identity is an identity I share with you. Now, down through the centuries, we've kind of got messed up on this and we've somehow given Peter a preeminent role within the life of the church that he wasn't called to. He did have a significant and important role, but not the role that we've given him. You see, because Peter himself understood that this was not something that he had personally and individually. In, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, all you like living stones, are being built into a holy house. In other words, it's not just me. It's everyone who knows Jesus. We're all chips off the same block. We all own the same identity. Now, why, why is this important? Well, obviously it's important because it's true. But it's important as well for the way that you and I handle our life. Because the truth is that the single greatest opponent that we will encounter in our life is not, is not the devil, is not the world but ourselves. And when we look at ourselves, it is so often this deep sense of insecurity that almost all of us live with that undermines and erodes our capacity to do the things that God has called us to do. Confidence if you want it in modern parlance, is the thing that so often prevents us from stepping out and doing the thing that God's called us to do in the mission that he shared with us graciously to see the world come to know Jesus. Do you often find that? You, you, you get to the end of the day and you think, I don't know, I'm not sure I did it today. You get to the end of the day and you think, Maybe I could have, I don't know, maybe I could have said something a bit better than that. And maybe. Peter, his life was changed from that time on. He had a bit of a dip after uh, the crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus had to kind of pull him back into shape again. But everything changed for Peter from that point on. He was walking to prayers one day as he was going into the temple via a, a, a gate called the Beautiful Gate, there were a whole host of beggars and there was a man who'd been lame from birth. And the man called out, not looking at Peter and John, but as a beggar would do, with his head down and his hands extended 
He was asking for money. Peter stopped. Something was stirring in him. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Peter only did what Jesus prompted him to do. And you see, his identity was tied up with Jesus. And so he was learning what it meant to walk with the Savior. And he said to the man, look at me. The man lifts his head and he says, I don't have any gold or silver. But what I have, I give to you. The identity of Jesus. That's what I have. It's more valuable than anything else. It's the identity of Jesus. It's the, it's the character and identity of Jesus that I carry with me since Jesus changed my name. When Jesus gave me his name, from that moment on, I was a different person. I was carrying a new identity. Yes, from time to time, I step into my old identity. But right now, I'm in, I'm in my new identity and what I have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. He asked for arms and Jesus gave him legs. And the man came jumping and leaping and praising God. Jumping and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ. You must know that one, surely. Of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, he's jumping and leaping around like a gazelle. And all of the people gather around Peter and John. And Peter says this. And you need to read this afterwards. It's in Acts chapter three. I'm sure you think that I'm kind of making up bits of it. I promise you I'm not. Acts chapter three. Peter's there in the temple courts and he says this. Why do you look at us? as if it were by our power and piety that this man stands before you healed. Why do you look at us as if it's by our godliness and power? This man stands before you healed because of faith Faith in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You see, it's really worth understanding what the covenant's all about. Because Jesus 
stepped into the corridor of blood. First, of course, through the birth canal. We often forget that. And then secondly, on that road to Calvary. And he walked in the midst of death and gave up his life for us. And says, will you exchange places with me? Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He says, he became sin who knew no sin. And so he takes on our identity of alienation from God so that we can take on his identity, which is intimacy with God. He becomes sin, we become sons. And as I've said to different gatherings at different times, we've all got to get used to these kind of gender-neutral symbols in Scripture. The guys have got to get used to being a bride, and the girls have got to get used to being sons. Because it's not a gender thing. It's a covenant thing. Our identity is the identity of Jesus. And he's the son of God. And so he takes on sin and we take on sonship. Which means that our identity has changed forever. And we get all that is commensurate, connected to his identity. Paul says this in Romans 8. He says, we are co-heirs with Christ. Imagine that. What do you think Jesus is an heir to? Apart from everything. The whole universe. I really like that, that, um, that ring nebula galaxy. I have this little email they send me every day. A new galaxy every day. I love it. It's great fun to see what you're, what you're going to get as your inheritance. Isn't it? You get the whole universe. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Though being in very nature man did not, uh, though being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took the nature of a servant even to death on a cross, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. I don't know whether you have any sense of this yet. But you and I are called to live a life of confidence and authority. There was a man, he lived alone except for his housekeeper and his son who's a very wealthy man he lived in a brownstone house on the upper west side of New York and he loved his life and he loved his son and he loved the man who did the gardening and helped with the house and answered the door his dearest friend one day the young man having seen what had happened to his city decided that he would join the army. 
And he went off and distinguished himself with great valor, but sadly died in action. The old man grieved his son deeply. One day there was a knock at the door. The housekeeper went to the door and there was a young man carrying a package dressed in full uniform. He was invited in and the old man went to speak with him. He said, so you don't know me, but I was the soldier that your son was carrying when he took a bullet and died. He said, I'm, I'm not a great artist, but I'd heard that you love art. You see, the old man was known for his love of art He had so many of the greats within his home. The young man said, I I knew that you loved art. And so I painted your son for you. And when he opened the package, he saw this amazing portrayal. He somehow captured the face and the eyes perfectly. And though the house was full of great pieces of art, he set this picture in pride of place above the mantle. And soon after that, the old man died. There was to be a great auction of the art within his home. And all the great and the good turned up on the day set aside. The auctioneer called the meeting to order And said, we are here today to auction the artifacts of the gentleman who lived in this marvelous home. And the first item for auction is the painting of the man's son. There was silence in the room. Gavel was poised. No one said anything. Do I hear 10,000? Silence. Do I hear 1,000? Silence. Do I hear 500? Murmuring began to break out in the crowd. Bring us the other art. Put this on one side. Do I hear 200? Now the crowd is becoming restless. We don't want this piece. We're here for the other great pieces. The housekeeper, an old African-American gentleman, standing at the back of the crowd, says, I'll give a hundred dollars. He never imagined that he'd be able to take one of the pieces but he wanted this piece above all others do I hear 150 let him have it let's get on 
Going once, going twice, sold to the gentleman at the back of the room. At which point, the auctioneer put his gavel down and stood up. There was a murmur in the room. What's happened? The auctioneer said, I'm sorry to have to tell you, but there was a stipulation in the will that the one who took the son got everything. The one who took the son got everything. The auction is complete. The gentleman at the back takes possession of everything. You see, that's it. And if that doesn't change your level of confidence, then nothing will. If that doesn't change your level of authority, then nothing will. With Jesus, you get everything. Everything that is associated with him is now associated with you. And it changes everything. It changes your marriage. It changes your family. It changes your work environment, your place within the community. It changes everything. Because if you've taken the sun, you get it all. Isn't that amazing? Now, it may be that this day is a day when that word was a word that you needed to hear especially because you've been struggling with confidence. You've been struggling with the need for authority over specific things in your life. And if that's the case, I'd like you just to come and pray with me right now. I do this a lot. We need to say with our bodies what we're often thinking with our minds because otherwise... It doesn't really settle with us. We know what we're like. We're human beings, but we're also human doings. And so sometimes we have to do something to kind of underline what it is that we want to say to God. So if you want to pray with me about this particular issue of identity leading to confidence, leading to authority, then come on right now because I'm going to pray with you right here. Come and join me. And I realize that those of you upstairs, it's going to be a bit of a journey, but you can, there's, there's stairs, and I think we should get, maybe Renis, we could get one of those bars, one of those poles. <laughs> get one of those from your firehouse. You know the firehouse pole? We could just come straight down then. It'd be a lot quicker, wouldn't it, for everyone? Okay, let's pray. Let's just come on down. If you need to come, then do come now. Just pray together. Jesus, you came from the halls of heaven for us. Jesus, you took the perilous journey of becoming a human being and being born for us. Jesus, you walked the path to Calvary for us. 
and you have taken our identity, our brokenness, our frailty, our inability, Lord, to do anything significant. You've taken it all, Lord. And all you ask is that we make the journey through the corridor of blood. And so, Lord, we do that today. And Lord, for those of us who have strayed from that path or who have not benefited from the blessings of that path, then today, Lord, we ask you that you would help us, Lord, embrace that new identity, your identity, Lord. Lord, we know that we have nothing that can change anything. Just like Peter, we have no gold or silver that can change any circumstance. But we do have your name. You've given it to us. And so, Lord, I pray for families and marriages, for wayward children. I pray for grinding debt. I pray, Lord, for the struggles in the workplace. I pray, Lord, for broken relationships that don't seem to be able to be mended. And in the name of Jesus, we call forth new life. And in the name of Jesus, we choose to step into the confidence that you've given us the authority that you've given us. And this day, Lord, we pray that we would walk from this place with a greater knowledge of our new identity. And we pray it according to the character, according to the identity of you, Lord Jesus. And all God's people say,